Hello, I'm Carrie Gard and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Even, even if AI decided what the best ad is, you'd still want to edit it. You'd still want to tweak it. You'd still want to add your visual element that is unique to you. This episode was so timely, so timely. Normally, I sort of have a backlog and I have, you know, I would, this episode be, you know, well into like May. Um, but given the timeliness of it, I felt like y'all need to hear it right now, right now. Saren Sakurai, Sakurai, I hope I'm saying that right, Saren. Saren Sakurai joins me on this episode to talk about, oh my gosh, we talked about so much, but it was really in in line with this framework around how to go to market in, in, in a demand gen sort of way and how we need to think about going to market differently given the new technology available between chat GBT as well as the fact that cookie a cookie-less future is looming for us all. I love the way he has reframed this in a way that we don't have to be scared of it. Uh, we're all kind of scrambling right now to figure out what we're going to do in this new world of marketing as it pertains to brand and not being able to necessarily follow you know, people who've never heard us heard of us before around the internet and how we need to capture users' attention faster and hold them longer and how we can use AI to help us cultivate that and curate it um, better. He says it so much more eloquently than me, so I'm going to leave it to Saren. Before I get there, Saren is the Senior Director of digital marketing at BlackBerry. He runs the paid media global websites, campaign management, and digital analytics for the reinvented BlackBerry security software. His team plans and executes brand marketing and demand gen programs for the corporate marketing demand gen divisions. And his marketing stack includes the Trade Desk, Adobe Experience Manager, Pardot, and Rollworks. We will um, get into a little bit of this, of what he's doing and how he's measuring and how analytics plays an important role uh, in the new world of our, our cookie-less future. Saren tells his story and explains more around his experience. So I'm going to leave it to him and take you on this journey with us. So here is my conversation with Saren. Hello, Saren. Thank you for joining me on Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Hi, Carrie. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you and I'm excited for this conversation because it's going to be a very practical one. So I hope everybody has their notebooks out. They have their pens, they're leaning in and they're not multitasking because newsflash multitasking apparently isn't a thing. So listen in folks. Uh, before we get into the core of our conversation today, Saren, tell me your story. I've been on the edge of my seat waiting for this since we talked because I always hold people off. They say, don't tell me your story yet because I'm going to hear it live. But I, I have been waiting for this one. So tell us your story, Saren. What do you do and how did you get there? So it's a, it's all about digital marketing. Um, and the, the original journey, well, the journey that I'm on right now started uh, right after the millennium. Uh, I had spent a couple of years in Japan, uh, living and teaching uh, on the JET program. And when I came back, I, you know, I started my real life 
and uh, moved to Portland, Oregon, where my parents were living at the time to get started. And uh, I had always imagined that I would work, I would try to get a job at Nike. Uh, and I actually made it to work on the Nike campus um, in that first year. I was part of the uh, Asia Pacific group. Uh, and, you know, from the outside looking in, Nike was really sexy, like, you know, lots of great marketing. But once you get inside the campus, you sort of start to realize that like a lot of the creativity is coming from outside. Uh, and so I was working with agencies that were servicing Nike and I, and AKQA was the agency that was doing a lot of the work for Asia Pacific. And I asked the account director at the time, like, hey, how do I get on the agency side? And they said, well, you know, you're, you're, you're still green. You probably need to go to a smaller agency you know, and then work your way up and then we'll call you up to the major leagues when you're ready. So moved down to Los Angeles, got into a smaller agency called Trigger, started working on websites and campaigns for the movie studios, um, spent about two years there. It was all very heavy creative. Um, and then AKQA called me up and said, hey, you want to come to San Francisco? And it was a real opportunity because uh, it had, they had a really strong strategy group. And I could really dig into sort of the more of the data. Yeah, this is the early aughts, mid aughts. And uh, the you know, you could really win a lot on a good idea before that. But data started to grow as a really significant piece. So it was a good opportunity for me. Um, it was a little foggy, a little cold. Um, and we had, a, we had a two-year-old. So I, I, I then sort of transitioned down to another agency in, in Southern California, back where the sun is. Uh, and I worked, it, it was called Jux Interactive. We did a lot of experiences for Coca-Cola. And then I moved over to Proficient, which is more of a consultancy. Uh, and I worked for Toyota and Lexus and um, a lot of the car companies. And they were owned, or they, they would install sort of very large um, systems like, like Salesforce or Adobe Experience Manager. Um, and I got to see behind the scenes how those those systems were installed. And then I was part of a group that did the UX and we, we sort of and then we would start to get all the data from these new systems. And it was really about how to put that into context. Um, but I was bit really focused on the web and uh, Adobe Experience Manager is a really robust platform. And at the time, uh, this startup named Silence was in the cybersecurity space. And they had a product that was based very dependent on AI, um, and uh, they had a, they wanted to redo their website, and they were using Adobe Experience Manager. And so I landed the role as the, one of the digital marketing leads for Silence. I started with the web, but then over the next couple of years, sort of expanded into marketing automation. And then we got a new CMO about a year before they were acquired, and he wanted to implement the Serious Decisions Demand Generation fr Framework. So I was part of a team that started implementing that framework into Silence to, I think, really good success, like leveraging the data uh, on the audience to deliver better messaging um, and enhance the website, enhance the marketing automation emails and things like that. And uh, about a year later, they Silence got acquired by BlackBerry and I basically applied the craft to not only cybersecurity, but also IoT and some of the other things that BlackBerry does. Um, and so that's sort of where I am at the moment. I, I've, uh, I've start, I've started small, went from the agency side to the client side. And now, you know, I'm sort of open to, to experiences and projects that kind of span the gamut of, of industries, but cybersecurity is sort of where I 
I've been working most recently. Well, that's great because that's who a lot of folks here you're talking to and what a great space to be in and the journey in which you found yourself in cyber is so cool. I find it interesting too. I feel like we're missing a little tiny part of your story in the beginning of how you, you know, you wanted to get in, you wanted to move back to Portland, you want to get into marketing um, and you joined a smaller agency, but why, why marketing at all? Like, how did you even know that that's where you wanted to be? Like you wanted to be at Nike, but Nike is huge. So why marketing? <laughs> when I was in high school, uh, my best friend, uh, his father ran a marketing organization in Baltimore and uh, we would, you know, we would hang out on the weekends and I, I, he would take us to sports games or, or down to the Harbor to get oysters. And, and in the conversation, I think he sort of identified me as a talker. And uh, I, 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 I think I have a skill for that, you know, and, uh, and I, and, and I also really do enjoy creative, like the creative, um, process. I went to school for creative writing. Um, and marketing really had an appeal because it's very creative focused. And, you know, over the years, it's it's become more and more story based. Um, and I think those things were from the core of, you know, being a good talker when I was younger, studying creative writing in, in college. And then it provided sort of an outlet for that kind of creativity. Um, and that's, you know, at Nike, I, to be honest, I saw some of the greatest creative decks I think I'd ever seen. Uh, the lead, the lead creative director for most of the campaigns in the Asia Pacific region was named John CJ. And he was at Wyden Kennedy. And uh, he's sort of a legend in the, in the field. But some of the decks that we would get from him, 50 pages of just the most incredible creative ideas. And so that was sort of the moment where I was like, I just can't, I don't can't for, foresee going into any other field. I want to be where those decks are coming from, uh, or I want to make those decks. Yes, I had similar feels. Um, I I had similar feels, and it's interesting too, because you've had this journey from the very left brain side, the very creative, that writing, that vision, that visual, the talking is all very creative and left side but then you found the data side which is sort of a similar journey that I went on and so how did you feel how did you make that leap like what was that for you because one's very concrete and one's mm. very abstract and so how did the data speak to you in a way that tuned into your to your left brain to the abstract brain yeah, I guess I would go back to the my DNA again. My father was a, a physics professor, and uh, my brother was the one who took sort of the right brain approach and and also got a master's in physics. And but my dad was a, was a liberal arts um, thinker, and he would always, you know, sort of counsel us to apply the patterns of mathematics to creative endeavors, right? And so I, I, I could always sort of see the association. Um, the industry around us, you know, as it became more and more digital, it just the, the access to data became a lot better. Uh, and it, you know, so I, I would I would have curiosities. I'd certainly had a, a lot of good mentors over the years. Um, but it, I think the, the common thread is sort of pattern recognition, right? You, in, in creativity, you want to develop a pattern and make a brand out of sort of being consistent. 
but and the math is just a way to sort of give you more data that you can look for patterns within. Um, and in the current age, you know, AI is going to be helping us a lot with that pattern recognition, and and maybe that will free it. That maybe that whole right brain part of the world will have. Well, the AI will free up the rest of us humans to sort of live in the left brain side, you know, a little bit easier. Um, I think that's the dream. Where we could read the data and have analysis around it without having to deep dive into it all the time. It's interesting yeah, that ChatGPT be able to ask questions versus having to go find, pull the data and then aggregate a way that you can see it and then start to make decisions based, be able to make those decisions faster, I imagine. Yeah. And hopefully give us more free time to sort of brainstorm, you know. And collaborate. Yeah. Yeah. I have there, I have a team member who's like, he's the analytics lead, which is funny enough, but he's like, we need more collaboration time. Like we need more time to sit with each other and look at the data and make analysis around it and then brainstorm around what we're going to do about it. And so I love what you're saying of AI freeing us up to do more of that. Yeah, I mean, in college and creative writing, you know, it was all about the workshop, you know, so people would bring their work, read it out loud, and then we would talk about it. Yeah, AI is never going to replace that collaboration, that yeah. workshop. Um, but give us more time for it. I like that thinking. Yeah. I think that'd be great. I think that'd be great. So is that how you use data today? in line with the creative side of things are you still do you still feel like you're able to play in that creative space or do you feel like you've sort of made that shift into the data and now you live in uh generally well, live the, in the data the better the tools the better um the less you have to worry about the data um the one thing that we've been using most recently um that's very helpful is is the intent data that you would get from a tool like sixth sense or demand base um Bombora, they though they would, I mean, they're excellent tools in that they they sort of allow you to sort of track the intent of a search. So in cybersecurity, people are looking for a new XDR solution. That's a that's a non-branded term. It's very general, right? And in the current in the current way that a Google search result will produce um, results, you know, they're you're, they're looking for answers. Now behind the scenes, there's an algorithm, but um, from our perspective, it really is is sort of like, how do we creatively craft the first impression that we'll be giving to someone who's doing a non-branded search, right? If, it, if they're looking for XDR, how can I as BlackBerry Silence or how can I as any cybersecurity vendor put forth a message that captures their attention really quickly and sort of gives a, a sense of the story that that is about to be told were you to click on it. Um, data is all behind the scenes for that. Um, but the creativity is really sort of being able to test, you know, a lot of variety of messages that that you can put out, you know, rather quickly, but then the data will sort of allow you to selectively choose which thread most people are responding to. And if you can set up a system where you can follow that Journey, the customer journey, not only from that first click, but into the website, what pages they look at, and then what emails they subscribe to, which emails they open. Like you really put together a, a, a journey that has multiple touch points, each of which has like a data point that allows you to optimize the experience. So even from the point of view of like the email, it, you know, we, we, we should produce like 
40 different emails, see which one works. But then over time that you let the data sort of figure out which is the most popular and then you can whittle it down to just two or three. And then you've got your nurture path like sort of optimized. Um, so it's kind of a balance. Uh, you, there's like, there's not as many, much big picture data going on. It's more discrete, small, you know, touch point data. But again, you're still gonna find a pattern. You still be able to optimize your program. And if you, you know, you keep your buyer's journey at the foreground of what you're thinking about, and you have a content strategy that sort of puts the messaging you to those points, I think the impaired, paired with the data and the creative, I think you can really get to a place where someone's experience within that first like seven minutes of interaction with you as a brand can be optimized and it will make their experience a lot better and your performance, um, you know, business-wise also a lot better. And I think it's a, I think we're in an era where that's, I think those pairings are really, can be really um, well-formed. You make it sound so easy, but as somebody who's been trying it and doing it, I, I can attest that it is uh, easy. The tools certainly help um, have a creative background and a writing background, which I do not have. I'm, I'm more the visual. I have a photography background, which is very different than a writing background. They are not the same thing. Um, I find writing to be very tricky when you're trying to be concise and in, like thoughtful and short and sweet. I, as you can see, I'm not, <laughs> as I blabber on right now, not sum things up in a very short and sweet way. So I find that very tricky. And so there is this marrying of the data to that creative side that I, that art that you seem to have down very well. And before I pull all of that apart, because wow, do I have questions. Mm. You may have given the game away, Sarah, and about like what we're going to talk today. So spoiler alert, y'all. This is what we're going to dig into in a second. But before we get there, one quick question for you, because I do think it's important as we get to know you as a person, Sarah, and what's one challenge you're currently facing? Is it in line with this? Or are you having a very different, like now that you have all this figured out, you're having very different challenges. What's what's a challenge you're currently facing? Well, going back to the practical, I think, um, I mean, as a marketing leader, you, you do need to have a vision of what you want to create. And I, you know, and number, many of us can speak sort of idealistically about what that vision should look like. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to describe that that vision, um, the, the practical challenge is, is adapting, you know, the, the, the team to iterate at a pace that can sort of um, adapt to the, how fast data works and how fast this AI is coming in is working. Um, and, and I think a lot of companies, particularly larger companies, um, the larger and older you become, the more conservative you become. And that's not on pace with the way in which marketing is sort of working now and heading towards. And so the challenge is essentially is you have to sort of set up the system, set up the, the platform or the program to work as, as in the ideal way. But it's a lot of coaching is involved in sort of getting the creative teams or the designers or the agencies you're working with to sort of be on the same page. And then that, and then, they're generally used to sort of trying to, I'll give you three options, we'll pick one, we'll iterate on that one, and that'll be the, the perfect thing to do. And in the new world, I think it's more along the lines of like, you have to come up with like 20 ideas and then test 10 of them 
to sort of get to the two or three that you think are really good. Um, and and it's it's a little bit more spitball. It starts starts with the spitball world and the volume play, and then the, lets the data sort it out. Where intuitively, I think there was a long era of marketing where we could all sort of agree, like that's the best idea. And the and and I don't know that that the data world or the AI world is is necessarily going to let us sort of on our own decide what the best idea is. We have to adapt to the way in which the patterns are being recognized and uh, and produce it like a higher volume and at a faster pace. I guess the second part of the challenge is like, can we can we optimize the team to work at a pace that allows for a lot more real time organization? Um, and that that's part of the point about like when I was suggesting uh, the cookie-less world is also, uh, you know, a player in all of this. It used to be when there was multiple cookies and, you know, you could cookie everyone and follow them all over the internet, like they, they, that they could provide you with more answers about who your audience is. In, the, in, a, in a more private era, I think when you start to remove like the third party cookies and then maybe the second party cookies start to go away and you're really left with your first person cookies, I think what what's going to distinguish you from your competitors who are still trying to figure it out is a sense that like that first impression to the experience that you give them on a website has to sort of be in real time. You can't, you get a one chance at sort of capturing their attention, convincing them that you're the solution and then having them register. And that might take within a seven minute period. And that's, that's the implications of a cookie list world. Like you only have your own cookie. So you got to get them to your website and then give them something that they were like, yeah, I'll sign up for that. All in one, all in one go. In seven minutes. So, well, when I was in, uh, when I was, feels, in that the, feels like a long time. I mean, yeah, you could do it in much less, but when I was at the agency in Los Angeles, working for the movie uh, industries, essentially the goal was to give them a seven minute experience. And if you, if you could immerse them and engage them for about seven minutes, they were going to go see the movie. And I, I think that the, the rest of the, the rest of marketing is sort of caught up to that. Um, like they, they will make decisions in 0.7 seconds as to whether they want to stay on your website. But if they, if it, so that's one thing that you have to win. But the second thing is like, you want to be able to be the, the, the mentor to whoever has come to your website. Let me teach you about how I can solve your problems. And you, you know, you don't, you can't assume that you can do that in a minute or two. So you start with some headlines that are, capture their attention, but you need the content to be of a depth and quality that like makes them want to learn more. And so I think Keeps you should set the goal of seven minutes, right? Wow. In the standard is two or three minutes, but like let's yeah. let's give them such good content that they they're like, oh, I want more. I want a third page, a fourth page. Like I want to watch that video. Yeah, that sort of thing. Oh my gosh. I mean, that would be fantastic if we could keep somebody on a website for seven minutes. But yeah, I mean, I think on a good day, the average is, you know, three. If you're really <laughs> having like, if they're, you know, podcasting is that's why podcasting so, so great because you can capture somebody and whether they're reading a transcript or listening to an episode, they're technically on your website for that amount of time, right? Even though it might be running in background or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, the that really raises the bar for what you have to be doing. I love what you're saying about coaching and being a mentor. And I want to dig into that because I have so many questions around the lines of 
giving them what they need, but also not, I mean, at what point is it, do you feel like you're giving away proprietary data? And I think that's tricky depending on what, what kind of, what kind of line of service you are, whether your SaaS is a little bit easier because the product does most of it. But um, if you're more of a service base, that becomes really tricky. Before we get mm-hmm. there though, I had a question around to set this conversation up. Something you mentioned early on, and I'm curious if you still use it. Do you still use the serious demands framework? Yeah. So serious decisions were decisions. Sorry. Yeah, they they were bought by Forrester two years ago, maybe. Um, but that's not to say that the the platform's changed. Really, it's just the brand. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I they have some core principles that I think are sort of evergreen. Um, and it, it essentially starts with like, you know, you you need you have an ICP like an ideal customer profile, um, and then you sit figure out what the user journey would be, and then you have a content strategy that you know sort of organizes your messaging per stop along the journey, and then you have dashboards that sort of tell you what kind of data you want to track. That's not actually going to change. Like they can rebrand the process all they want, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to get off of that as a as a framework um, mm-hmm. anytime soon. It sounds like you're trying to move faster through that user journey, though, in terms of what you're talking about and how AI sort of come to play. Um, yeah, yeah. The the third party is- the third party cookies were, were how we were going to sort of track you across the website or the web in general. And that was gonna play out over a much longer period of time, right? And and Mm -hmm. at its worst, it was Facebook was sort of tracking every website you went to and then using that information to build the audience. Like that, we're not gonna really, privacy dictates that we shouldn't be doing that anymore. That which that all condenses the time down uh, significantly. ChatGPT will come in and make it even more condensed because you know, you. That you can get an answer really quickly, um, mm-hmm. so you kind of want to model yourself more about a very condensed time, a three-step model as opposed to like a twelve-step journey. So it's let maybe it's less of a journey and more of a sprint. Oh, but you're still going from what are point those, to right. What are those three milestones that you want them to get to, and what what are then the actions that need to be happening to for each milestone to sort of succeed yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. When you're talking about a sprint, that's sort of how almost like you're yeah, passing I mean, a baton between the three. In the simplest form, I think people are still going to start with search. They're either going to get an organic result or a paid result. They're going to click mm-hmm. on it. That self-selects them into your audience. That's step one. Step two is they arrive at wherever you've taken them. It's a landing page or a website. Like what's that experience? And then Either way, there's a scroll, right? So what are the little chapters from top of the page down? And Mm -hmm. ideally there's a call to action that's like register for something like a webinar or subscribe to our newsletter. That would be step three. And then what's the, what's the, the message that comes next, right? There's a sort of a, there's a new expectation like relative to chat GPT, like I'm not going to give you something immediate necessarily. But that next email ought to come pretty quickly and sort of advance you to whatever the next click would be. So that that little sprint is sort of super important. Um, but it does give you the first person cookie when they come to the website. 
And then it gives you like an email address when they subscribe to your newsletter. Like those are the data points that you're going to use to like extend the time out, sending them more email or using that cookie to retargeting. To give them targeting. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting. I just recommended sort of a similar pathway for a client around paid search and SEO. And then once we got enough cookie data to then retarget. So it sounds like what in a cookie-less world, that's still relevant. That pathway isn't going to go away because it's not dependent on display marketing, sort of following people around and creating that overarching brand awareness. Um, which is interesting because I just I just listened to a do you know uh Chris Penn, Christopher Penn? He has a podcast. He's an AI specialist and he has a podcast around marketing. And uh he just read he has this really great newsletter that he puts out in the newsletter. He talks about ChatGPT and how it's about to like totally change the SEO landscape. And so his message around that was brand. Like you have got to build your brand because when people come to search for you, um, they're not necessarily going to get you. They're going to get a universal answer that's been scooped from the web in a way that then delivers something that doesn't necessarily mean somebody's got to click to go to a website. Um, which then talking about this cookie-less world and display becoming a bit trickier and less targeted because you don't have that first party cookie necessarily. Um, it makes those two an interesting dichotomy. Oh yeah. I, I think I would agree with them. It, it, brand is how you will stand out, right? It, it, the the, the ChatGPT will give you, you're right, the generalized answer. Like we've we've got data from 75 different sources that so it gives us this general answer. Um, and, and brand brand is essentially trust. Trust is essentially time plus consistency. Um, you have to build brand over over a period of time to get it, you know, get people to remember you. So, I mean, that's part of this sort of sprint, you know, like mm -hmm. you, you you can't necessarily build the sprint within that, you know, seven minute period, but you can over 24 hours, 48 hours a month, right? There's, you know, as we know, there's such a thing as like a learning curve. Certain things take a little longer to learn. Well, there's also sort of the, the, the companion to that, which is a forgetting curve. Like if you are given new information, oh. you're probably gonna forget it within 48 hours. So that speaks a little bit to the sprint. Like I, the first impression may stay with them for 48 hours, but what you really want to do is sort of, as soon as they're about to forget you, remind them about you. Right? Oh. In that seven minutes, you it, it, there's like a little bit of a, a cadence to it. Like you have to do something to initiate this, but after seven minutes, you need to get reminded. And then after 12 hours, you should get reminded. And then after 48 hours, you should get reminded. And there are tactics that are on this timeline. So uh, even if, down. yeah. Now the, the the open question that we don't know the answer to is how will we as brands get into, you know, a chat GPT or Bing, you know, if they're giving just, people are like just doing these non-branded searches for like sort of high level answers. Okay, that's fine. But at some point that you still, they're still gonna transition to like, well, who can actually solve my problem? Are we gonna be paying Bing to be the first answer? <laughs> or is mm, Bing, a, yeah, you know, question. figuring out who has the most web trafficked website to be the first, to be the answer? 
Like we don't know those things. So that's sort of the next frontier we all have to figure out in the next couple of years. Well, it goes back to intent, I feel like. You know, right now, the way that we capture those initial users in, in SEO is that high level, what is content, right? So around definitions or defining something or talking about a framework of how this thing generally works, right? Google is going to Google and and Bing are going to scoop those up and deliver those as a collective answer because it isn't branded in any way or proprietary. But to your point, where where we come in is that is that higher intent? Okay, now they're looking for this versus that. So what are the companies that do this thing, right? And then there's going to be a list. Okay, then they're going to start going to that list directly, right? So it won't necessarily come in through. That you know, uh, I do think you can ask Bing or ChatGPT for a list and links, so you could be clicking through. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so to your point, I do think it's not going to go away. We are going to have to switch up our strategy a bit in that sense and become more proprietary in that the data, the information we're providing, that content we're providing, that captured and that seven minutes on the website, man, that takes resources. That's a ton of resources. Oh, yeah. How now, do little guys compete the, with all that? Well, I mean, some maybe AI is an answer to like it, AI Possibly. is the cause of and solution to the problem. Like the AI, I think essentially would hopefully take away a lot of the mundane tasks. So it we should we should be using it to produce you know fifty AdWord copy you know ads. Uh, we should we should use Midjourney to produce 50 different iterations of this banner ad or um you know like let let maybe they can come up and give us sort of the starting points for a volume of messaging that we can then feed back into the into the borg and uh, mm-hmm. say, see what resonates um i mean i guess that's the optimistic view uh, but so but again you're still going to need a lot of humans or or at least you're going to need a lot of people thinking really deeply about how to construct content that um, you know wins the first impression, but then is deep enough that it will let people immerse themselves in it for long enough that they pick up on the brand and sort of remember it because they will ask for that list. And you, at, it's at that point you need them to recognize you as a brand and say, oh, I do want to know more about Brand X. Um, so let's talk about this in terms of cybersecurity audience because they're tricky tricksters in terms of their trust for brand and brand affinity or frankly they don't care they just want the best solution um so in terms of content and being really authentic for them because they're going to see right through right so if you just have chat gpt produce you 50 ads they try and like push them out i um i imagine that you still need to your point add a bit of that human like it might produce you those 50 ideas but you still need that human element because you're going to know your audience and what they're going to respond to and they're going to they're going to be able to see through things that don't feel right yeah am i making sense you know what i mean sure we're always going to need humans to curate right and and collaborate um the i think you're right cybersecurity audience is unique um like they were, they were well ahead of turning off all cookies and and go, going into you know hidden mode. Um, yeah. 
so I mean that that's why like I think the the team at Silence was thinking ahead about the sprint as opposed to the longer mm -hmm. duration. So we, we we assumed that they were just turning all their cookies off. Um, but no, the the authentic content is is always going to be a challenge. Now they they are my interpretation of them is they're 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 more on the left, well on the right brain of it where you know i think key data points surfacing key data points early early on in the first impression i think is really important in my experience the the sort of the the reports that are developed by the different vendors in terms of like what the threat threat landscape looks like you know either if it's an annual report or trying to do it more rapidly those those are generally speaking those are 40 page pdfs that we get to download right and and I think the first impression is a summary or a, like identifying the key point. Um, AI might be able to help a little bit with that, give us some options, but you know, I still think a human, it's human to human uh, interaction. So we have to curate what we think are the most salient points and then provide them upfront because the, we, can, we can sort of guarantee their authenticity because we've curated them. I love that word. I think that's such an important word, curate, as it relates to AI. Because it, so as a photographer who used film way back when, uh, dating myself, uh, I had to be dragged kicking and screaming into the digital age. And I think part of that was because I found that a lot of photographers were just spraying and praying, so to speak, even though that's a terrible phrase, but it's just this idea of love. And even this happens today with, with digital and, and your phone, right? How many photos do you take of the same thing? That then just fills up your folder, right? Your your library that then you have to curate to get down to those. But who who really curates these days? So how many duplicates do you have in that in that folder, right? And so when you don't have digital being able to do so much of that for you, it because now we're being served up these lovely. Um, I don't know if you get it on your phone, but like I'll get albums of my kids and doing certain things and it'll be one photo instead of like the 15 I probably actually took. Instead of us being yeah. a bit curated for me, which is helpful. But before that curation happened, it was really daunting. And so I was all about film and being really thoughtful and intentional about every single image. And then digital happened, sort of exploded and that became overwhelming. And so it feels like that for me that's happening. Like we could have 50 ads being created. Um to curate those is a process and yeah. and then to get them in the marketplace and have ai figure out which one's essentially the best one is working seems to be the system right so you still need to curate them to a degree you still need to pick out the best ones and make sure the language is in line and make sure that it makes sense and you're reading them all and then getting them out to the marketplace as quickly as possible so then ai can learn and figure out the right ones seems to be it seems to be more driven by less gut, a little less gut instinct and a little more systems and process now, if you yeah. want to move faster and get to that sprint. Am I on something? I right. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Um, I mean, the brand aspect is kind of tricky because, you know, an AI will only tell you what it thinks it performs the best. And that doesn't necessarily convey brand. Um but yeah, I think that you you don't ever want it, it's always going to be a human being buying your service or your software. And so you can't go fully into the AI world and expect that like we don't even need a marketing department anymore. <laughs> like at minimum, we need brand to sort of 
build that consistency over time to to be authentic, right? Like even even if AI decided what the best ad is, you'd still want to edit it. You still want to tweak it. You still want to add your visual element that is unique to you. Voice, um, yeah. I mean, that's I think that's the same in photography. Like, it, yes, you know, you don't really want to develop hundreds of you know of things in the darkroom. And yes, it's a little bit cheaper to do the digital. But I, even if you were to you know, there's there's a point where you pick this is the best version. I'm still going to need to improve it to get it in before it goes in a frame. Yes, and I think if that, you're printing, that, yeah, that basic thing is, is you can't avoid it. You really want human beings to craft it because um, you know that the audience is still a human being. Oh my gosh, I just love that word, curate. I think that's so important. And when we're talking about the sprint. I want to um, just pull this apart a bit more. So the elements of the sprint are taking somebody from never hearing of you to taking an action on your website, just from point A to point B being very literal. Yeah. Um, multiple ways to do that. We mentioned a couple of them from display ads to remarketing to search, uh, ideally in the reverse order if you're trying to build up from um, scratch. In terms of the messaging, you mentioned you're trying to move your team a bit faster in getting more A-B testing out there. Yeah. And like I said, I think that comes down to systems and process. So could you talk us through, you're, you're trying to coach your team and there's a challenge there, but in a perfect world scenario, how would you sort of envision this system and process of these two things working nicely together to get the messaging out there, to get the IPA thinking, to learn what's working, what's not working, and then iterating on that? Yeah, I think you, 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 we need to envision marketing as a whole, as like a team all together. So, you know, there. A lot of the times there's multiple departments or different leads to different pieces, but like the best way to express the full team is to collaborate amongst them. And the primary example, like in cybersecurity is there's, there's always a new threat coming or there's a, there's a threat that happened overnight. Right. And I, and, and we will hear about it through, you know, a news source or through a cohort and want to know more about it. And I think as brands, we need to sort of be on the case of, know, of figuring out what did happen overnight and accelerate the ability to take that, you know, net new threat and put it into the messaging. So I, I think in reality, like social media or, or monitoring social channels may be the where you find the most recent threats that have been developing. Now we need to facilitate that recognition going over into the marketing group who are doing uh, Google ads, right? Like if social picks up on something that just happened, get it over to the Google ad people and have them build out 50, 50 you know, messages about it and then put it into the system and test it as quickly as possible. Because you know those people who are waking up that morning and hearing about it are going to go do searches about it. And whereas traditionally we may do annual planning or quarterly planning, and we sort of take these non-branded terms as very, very generalized. Like, I think people are conducting searches on much more specific things. So figure out how to tighten the circle, sh collaboratively share learnings and insights and activate messaging outward, like based on really, you know, quick turnaround uh, discoveries. 
so that's a little bit tricky. It, it is, it's a pace that you're not necessarily used to, but like, uh, I, th I think you have to tighten that circle in order to adapt to the sprints. It sounds like if you have a template of messages that you know have worked from the past and you know of this new threat, then you should be able to sort of do an A plus B methodology of like threat A happened, outcome B happened, we do see about it. Then yeah. um, the turnarounds should be a bit tighter because you're just dropping in elements versus trying to rewrite the ad from scratch every single time. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think at its peak, Silence could get this sort of process down to like a four hour, a four hour. Wow. Now it, it was, it was sort of like all hands on deck and it, yeah. it, it was a significant breach. Like, first of all, we need to know, does the product actually protect from it or protect right. our customers from it? You know, so you, you involve like the, the development team and the, or the research team and they say yes or no. And if they say yes, like we can make the blog post and put it out in social media. And like, it, you know, it, 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 moving that many people in concert with one another mm -hmm. is not an easy thing, you know, but four hours is way better than four weeks. That's um, really fast. Yeah, I know. And, and in it, our day and age, that's, I mean, cyber the, go? threat actors are depending on the vendors not being that reactive, right? Mm. They're, they're, you know, AI is, a you know, AI is developing threats as fast as AI is. Catching it's true. <laughs> so true. Quick question about this, because I know it's a hot topic as I have conversations throughout my podcast. And this is an interesting, I had a great conversation with um, Matt Ziegler, who, whose show was before this one, for people to go check it out, where we talk about messaging um, and the, the marriage and the balance between wanting to use data and being really intentional and thoughtful about bringing data to messaging, but also being weary to use fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Like you don't want to scare people into using your product. And so I feel like, I don't feel like that's what this is doing. I feel like it's a fine line, but I, I want to just sort of have a small conversation about that. So people feel the same way about it. Like yeah. that's how I'm re I'm reading it. Not as fear and certainty. I'm reading it as very factual. This thing happened. Here is the outcome of it. Here's what our project can do about it. It's not like hurry up and get this thing before this thing happens to you and you have to get it. Like there's, there's a different level of urgency in how you message that. Um, yeah. that I think you're walking very, very thoughtfully. Well, that, yeah, this does marry a number of themes that from a, a few of the last podcasts you have, like it, 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 it is, it, it, factual is good, but factual still can result in fear, <laughs> fear and, you know, but, um, my, my theory on it is, is there's, there is a framework called the, uh, a message map, which is, comes out of the, um, emergency response community where, you know, if if a hurricane is is coming at you, and somebody needs to go on TV to explain, you know, what's going on, you can't have like an a rambling, you know, sort of get around to the point conversation. You really have to be very specific about it. So I think one of the counterbalances to fear is is just being much more clear. Like, yes, you want to state facts, but let's let's present the outcome in a very clear and concise way. And the message app is really nicely designed. It's like one headline, three key points. And then for each key point, you want three data points that support that key point. Um, and, you know, there's a 30 second version of that, like a three minute version of that. And then, you know, 
a seven minute version of that. But you, we want to go in order. Like the headline is, we have an outcome that can help you prevent this from happening to you. Um, and that's not a fear. That's not a fear message. That's like a an optimistic message. Um, and and as long as you sort of organize the message and how and the cadence of how you deliver it, I think you can sort of not get people all worked up about the bad things that could go on and sort of turn their attention right to the outcome. Uh, and then you and add a little bit of emotion to that, right? Like the outcome also will lead to like a positive emotion. Um, at Silence, we we always like to say we wanted to give you know nights and weekends back to our customers. Um, like let's reduce the number of alerts they get and the false flags. Let's let them go home at five and you know have time with their family because they're not getting these alerts all the time or. If we can do our job effectively, they don't have to rebuild computers all weekend. Um, and speaking it from an outcome perspective, I think it does sort of let them accept us as a solution, as an outcome, as opposed to like, oh God, I need something right now. Yeah, tonality matters. I love what you're saying too, of that positive spin of how you help them in a in a giving way, in a helpful way versus a, if you don't do this, then you're going to get breached and your business is going to implode, right? Like, yeah, and it, there's a, important. there's a way to present those things and it's the same data. It's just a different presentation that's more intentional and thoughtful and optimistic. Well, it goes back to an earlier point where as part of your storytelling um, construction, you know, the user needs to be the main character. And then you as the brand need to be the mentor. And, you know, you can tell them about the outcome at the beginning, but you really do need to provide them in as part of your content strategy as to what the plan would be. Like, if you can do these three things, like the outcome is more, you know, guaranteed. And, and then the follow-up to that, that kind of extends the timeline a little bit is just to sort of help them avoid failure. Like I'm going to give you a plan, but I'm also going to help you go through the plan and, and take you from step to step to setting up the solution, to following up on sort of the tweaking of the solution, to um, upgrading the solution over time. Like you just got to build that into the, the story and it gives you the ability to be a brand that's a mentor. I, you know, I love the story brand framework, which is exactly what you just walked us through and what I had a great conversation with another um, guest on before. And I think the story brand framework gets misconstrued as well, where people oh. flip it to feel like they have to show the grimmest of grim outcomes. Like if you don't buy this thing, it will be the end of the world. And it, I don't think that's what the writer intended. And it's a shame that it's been so poorly misconstrued because it is a beautiful idea and an impactful and powerful one when you can stop talking about yourself mm -hmm. as a brand and put your customer first, which is everything you've been saying yeah. and really figure out what that journey is and, and that initial sprint to get that first impression. So especially in a cookie world and then bring them on that journey through data and intentionality and beautiful, optimistic outcomes of what your product's going to, that, that, um, you know, I want to call it a vacation, so to speak, because that's what, you, you know, when you, when somebody's trying to make you book a vacation back in the day, it was really trying to paint that picture of the beach with the Mai Tai and the waves and 
we're not going to talk about TSA and how to get from point A to point B. We're just going to like talk about the vacation, right? Yeah. And that beautiful outcome. And I think we all need to get back there opposed to creating this grim reaper mentality. And uh, I just love it. Yes. The, ma- the message think, map is so helpful. I don't think chat GPT could have summarized our conversation any better than that. Well, I'll see if it can try. Um, Saren, I'm so grateful. Do you have any last like words of wisdom as people try and think through their sprint and helping capture that first impression in the first seven minutes? Uh, no, I just think it's mostly follow your instincts. Um, you know, you are the expert in your brand, or you've at least been learning as much as you can about it for as long as you've been on the job. Um, and you know, don't think that AI is going to provide all the answers. Like your gut instinct, based on you, your life experience as a human being, is still very, very valuable, because the people who are buying your software or your service are human beings, and they're not out there to buy from AI yet. They still want to buy it from another person. Um, so instincts still matter, especially in B two B. Especially in B two B, it is a it is a human interaction. It is a emotional buy. It is human to human. Yeah. I wish I could leave it at that, but I have to follow up because I truly believe that we are humans and you are more than a marketer, Sarah. And even though you've been a marketer since the start of your career, which is awesome and, and sometimes unheard of. Um, and so in terms of getting to know you more beyond being a marketer, I have three quick questions for you if you have time. Sure. Okay, real quick. The first one is, have you picked up any new hobbies in the last few years, given the change of the world? I mean, it sounds, well, I have a son who's now 14 and he is really into action sports. So I spend a lot more time in skate parks and on the beach watching surfing than I had otherwise. Um, But in terms of the day-to-day, I actually do really like playing with Mid Journey, which is the you know, I know as a photographer, it's a little bit of a, it, we have to talk it through and make it better. But um, I do kind of like playing with, you know, vis- AI generated images and seeing if um, I can I can turn a prompt into a brief. <laughs> Maybe prompting is the new brief. Oh. That's my current obsession. I, you know, I use ChatGPT because I find it very hard to write. So for people who... Uh, aren't used to creating visuals, I imagine things like Midjourney are very helpful. So while I might not use Midjourney because it goes against my craft, I would never fault anybody else for wanting to pick it up and give it a whirl. So that's awesome. Maybe you can share some of your prompts, give us, uh, or some of your pictures that we can share. That's awesome. Uh, And so in line with Real quick, funny story. So my husband's a developer and he's got friends who are developers and they always sort of like look at him funny because they're like, you're one of the only developers I know who develops in their free time for fun. <laughs> um, and this reminds me of that, like AI is part of your job and what you do every day, but then you also do it in your spare time in ways that's fun. So you just love your job. And I think that's amazing. I do. I, I, very I love that. I love that. Second question for you. Uh, if you could travel to anywhere in the world without long lines, without expensive tickets, without uh, now that the world's open back up, where would you go and why? Wow, I, I, I love Japan. I, but I go there all the time. I think 
well, I'm half Japanese. My dad was Japanese. My mom is uh, from Ohio. And uh, I've heard that there's a very large Japanese expat population in Brazil. And I, I think it would be, I, you know, I know a lot about the Japanese, half Japanese in America. I'm curious about the ones in Brazil who are, you know, the second half is all, you know, Latino. And uh, I think that the, the cultural mix down there would be completely unique. I would love to go there. Well, if you go and you have an Instagram that I can follow, that would be awesome. <laughs> Uh, last question for you, Sarah. If you could be with your team in person, maybe you are. Maybe you guys get together once in a while. Maybe you um, fly out to see each other. Uh, and maybe you don't, and that's okay too, and something to look forward to. But if you were together, what song would you want playing to sort of set the vibe of your and the energy of your group? Uh, that's a good one. Um, as a liberal arts major, I like when there's a remix of a lot of different styles into something brand new. Um, an example, I don't know. I mean, I think I particularly like early hip hop because everything in the, everything was sort of brand new and they were sort of inventing it as they went along. And, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties, every record was like super unique. Uh, I don't know. My favorite group is, is Tribe Called Quest. There's a, the song is, uh, scenario. I think it's all. It's like seven different rappers, all with their own special style, and one song. And the song's really good. Uh, I think that's my go-to jam. So, scenario by Tribe Called Quest. Awesome. I'm gonna look it up. It's happening, and then I'm gonna put a link in this uh, so people can look it up too, because we are always out to find new music. And what a better way to do that than through our community? Excellent. Idea. Amazing. Sarah, thank you so much. This was. This is what we needed right now. We needed this conversation, and I hope everybody feels inspired to change it up. We gotta, we gotta think differently in this new era and how to connect with our audience with incredible intentionality. That's going to take a lot of brain power. That isn't AI. Well, my first name is Saren S A R E N. If you look at me on any of the social media channels, that's usually ends up with me. So, if anyone has questions or Thoughts? I'd love to have the conversation. That was my conversation with Saren Sakurai. If you would like to learn more about the sprint and how to get from your audience never hearing of you to engaging on your website for seven minutes, uh, please contact Saren. He as he said, he'd love to get in touch. Thank you, Saren. What a what an amazing conversation. Such a timely one. I'm so grateful. And thank you to our listeners. If you found this episode helpful, please like, subscribe, and share. This episode was brought to you by MKG Marketing, our agency that accelerates the mission of cybersecurity vendors via SEO, digital ads, and analytics. It's hosted by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG Marketing, music mix and mastering done by Austin Ellison. If you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketinginc.com to apply.